How are you guys doing this morning? It is good to be in the house of the Lord this morning, isn't it? Amen. We just sang all about the goodness of God, and that's really all that this message is going to be about. Um, I was planning on potentially, you know, Josh initially at first said that I could preach on whatever I wanted, but he must have thought that was a little too dangerous because <laughs> he asked me to finish out our series that we've been going through, just looking at Christmas from the perspective of Paul. So I am super thankful for the opportunity this morning to be able to preach, to speak, um, and I just really want us to acknowledge the fact that, yeah, we're still looking at a text that kind of centers around Christmas, but it is very much so focused on renewal, new things, a new year as well. So with that being said, we're going to be in Titus chapter 3 this morning, if you want to turn there. Um, we'll be in Titus chapter 3, we'll be looking at verses 4 to 7 and a few other verses around that. So let me go ahead and read the text for us this morning. So I'll start in verse 3. It says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Verse 8, the saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. So as we look in this text, we're seeing, we are beholding really just a telling of the gospel, right? The work of salvation that God has wrought in the lives of us all who have chosen to believe in Jesus Christ, who have placed our faith upon Jesus Christ. This is how he has saved us. This is why he has saved us. And so the question that I think is appropriate that we should ask of this text is, well, why? Why did God save us? And whenever we ask any kind of why question, there are really two possible answers that we can think of. Think about a light bulb, for example, actually. You think of a light bulb, you can think, well, why does a light bulb shine? Why does a light bulb produce light? So we can talk about its source. We can talk about the wiring and the machinery and I'm definitely not an engineer, so I actually don't know how a light bulb works. But, you know, like, we could talk about the filament and all these other kind of different things that are in the light bulb that make it what it is so that it will light up, right? Or the answer to that question, why does the light bulb light up, we can talk about its purpose, right? That, well, whenever you screw a light bulb into a socket and then flip the light switch on, then it lights up. Right? That's the purpose that it was intended for. And so in the same way, we're going to be talking about, we're going to be answering that why question, why did God save us, talking about both the source and the purpose. So the main idea, if you guys don't walk away with anything else today, the main idea that I want you guys to get out of this is that God saves because he is good. That is his source, his character, 
right? God saves because he is good so that we could be in his family. That's the purpose, the end results. The end result of God's goodness, the end result of God saving us is so that we could be in his family. So I'll say it again. God saves us because he is good so that we could be in his family. So we're going to be in the book of Titus this morning, but before we just dive into the text, I just briefly want to tell a very brief outline on the background of Titus. So Titus is one of the pastoral epistles. Titus was discipled by Paul. Him and Timothy both were discipled by Paul, and they were young pastors who were trying to teach a congregation, right? And they were leading some of the first early churches, and Paul is warning both of them against false doctrine, so he's making sure that you have good doctrine. Make sure you have good teaching. Do not forget the gospel, and then also encourage your people to do good works. That is his main thrust, his main motivation throughout the book of Titus is that they would do good works. So, more immediately though, we see in verse 3, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. This is our spiritual state. We left to our own devices this is what we offer to the world. On our best days, this is what we offer to the world. Malice, envy, deceit, disobedience, foolishness, various passions and pleasures, being slaves to those things. That is our spiritual state. But then, verse 4 is our but God moment, right? Verse 4, how incredible is this? It's very similar to whenever Paul is talking in the book of Ephesians, for example, whenever he says, this was our spiritual state. We were sons of disobedience. We were destined for the wrath of God, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Amen? So in the same way, here in verse 4, he says, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. But God. And what we see really clearly here, what we just celebrated during Christmas, right, we celebrated the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appearing in the face of Jesus Christ. That whenever Jesus was born in a manger, as lowly as it was, that was the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appearing. Jesus is the embodiment of the goodness and loving kindness of God. And that word right there, loving kindness, it's actually just one word. In the Greek, it's philanthropos. It's where we get our word philanthropy, right? So you think about what does a philanthropist do? They donate a bunch of money to these charities for the good of human society and maybe for research to find a cure for all of these diseases that might ail us and everything like that. That's what a philanthropist does, right? They give to people who are in need or people who are in distress. So while I was at home this past week celebrating Christmas with my family and everything, um, I got a chance to, for the first time, see A Christmas Carol. Now, I'm not talking about, like, I've definitely read Christmas Carol, Charles Dickens, before, and I've, like, seen some versions, but I'm talking about the 2009 Jim Carrey version with the really bad animation that, oh, man, it's just wonderful, you know? It's, <laughs> I, it, it's, it's, like, bad, but I love it. Oh, man, it's so good. And... What I was uh, amazed by 
whenever I looked at the character of Ebenezer Scrooge, was how big of a turnaround he had in that area. I mean, at the beginning of the movie slash book, he basically, you know, he hears about Tiny Tim. You guys know the story. Tiny Tim is sick. He's going to die. And Scrooge says, well, he better hurry up and die so that he's no longer a drain on the British economy. I mean, how heartless, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's, that's terrible, right? But then we see throughout the story him slowly change to be someone who, from then on, after his transformation, he is so giving, so generous, so philanthropic. He sees people who are in distress, and then at the end of the movie it shows um, Ebenezer Scrooge holding Tiny Tim on his shoulder, and they're saying Merry Christmas to everybody, and it's, it's a really good ending, right? Um, but that is only a tiny glimpse of the kind of loving kindness that we're talking about whenever we're talking about the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is God in the flesh. He is the goodness and loving kindness of God in the flesh. We just sang, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lowly exile here until the Son of God appear. So do you want to see the goodness? Do you want to see the loving kindness? Do you want to see the mercy of God in your life? Then you need look no further than Jesus Christ. He is the goodness and loving kindness of God. And Paul continues that he is the one who appeared, and then it says, verse 5, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness. God alone is responsible for our salvation. It's not by our works. We have done nothing to earn our salvation. We could not earn it. It was literally impossible. We could not earn the mercy and the loving kindness of God. But it was not our works. It was his mercy. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his mercy. And you might think to yourself, well, but I like prayed a prayer when I was younger, or I walked down the aisle, or I did all these kind of different things. So... I mean, surely I played some kind of role in my salvation, right? Well, the truth from Scripture that we see is, yes, you might have done these things, but who is the one who alivened your spirit? Who's the one who prompted you to take those first steps down the aisle? Who's the one who first gave you the submission to his spirit to be able to say the words and to call out to God for salvation? It was his work, and his work alone. He is the one who gave you the faith to believe in the first place. Dr. Danny Aiken says that on your best day, you had nothing to give God. And if you have never realized that, then you have never been saved. Man, even on my best day, whenever I am the most put together, <laughs> whenever I have, in my mind, seemingly done nothing worthy of account, maybe nothing wrong, and I've maybe helped a few elderly ladies across the street, you know, whatever it is. Like, even on my best day, I have nothing that I can give God. Even my good works are like filthy rags before him, Scripture says. So it was his works. It was not our works. And then he says, it was according to his mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. So this idea of regeneration, really big theological word that Paul's going to talk about here, and it's got everything to do with salvation. It's basically making new life. He has regenerated us. Whenever Jesus talks about, hey, you must be born again, that's what he's talking about here. 
that, the, that we have been given new life. We have been brought from death to life. And this is the kind of regeneration that we're talking about. But we're also talking about renewal, right? Renewal. What does that sound like? That sounds like New Year, right? It's what we're looking forward to. We are anticipating renewal or restoration of some kind. And so regeneration has two aspects to it, two sides of the same coin. One, it's the removal of our sin, which is why he talks about the washing of regeneration. We are tearing down, tearing away our sin. And then it is restoration, it is renewal, it's building back up through the Holy Spirit. One early church father talks about a house that is in such great disrepair that it is unlivable, right? If you have a house that is so greatly disrepaired that, it's, that you can't live in it, what do you do? You don't do some patchwork and then, well, there might be a little bit of a draft, hope you guys are okay being cold, and all right, you got a house now. Like, no, you don't do that kind of patchwork. What do you do? To permanently fix the problem with the house, you tear it down to the very foundation and then you rebuild it. That is what God has done in regenerating our, our lives. For he has saved us. He has removed our sin and he has built us back up with the Holy Spirit and he is continuing to renew us day by day. It's this idea that we call sanctification. That's another big word, but it's really just the Holy Spirit making us more and more conformed to the image of Christ. This is the kind of regeneration that we're talking about. And then we get down to the purpose. Why? Why did God save us? Well, here is the purpose. He says in verse 7, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Pastor Josh talked about it a couple of weeks ago whenever we looked in the book of Galatians. But this idea of heirs, typically in the ancient Roman world, heirs would have been just the men, right? The oldest son would get the most, and then the second oldest would get a smaller cut, and then the third oldest would get a, an even smaller cut than that, all these kind of things. Um, but this is not the kind of heirs that he is talking about. Because the Holy Spirit has been given to all people, because the Holy Spirit, for anybody who believes in Jesus, they can receive the Holy Spirit, then that means that they also receive an inheritance from God, that we are heirs through Jesus our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So look at this. Notice this for a second. This is all three persons of the Trinity simultaneously at work in this. We see Jesus Christ, our Savior. We see renewal of the Holy Spirit. We see but the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior. All three persons of the Trinity are working together to accomplish this great work of salvation. All three persons of the Trinity are involved in this great work of salvation. And this morning, we've been talking about salvation a whole lot, but I think I would be doing a disservice to all of you right now if I didn't just take a second to tell you, well, what in the world are we talking about whenever we talk about salvation? What is this great work of salvation that he has done for us? And it's this word that we call the gospel. Let me explain just briefly what the gospel is. For those of you guys who maybe have traveled in town from being out of town or who are new with us, or whatever it is your circumstance might be, maybe you have never heard of the gospel before. 
but just to make it very crystal clear so that we are all on the same page, this is the gospel, that God created everything that we see around us. He created the entire world. He designed it exactly the way that he intended it to function, the exact way that he intended it to work. And then he also created mankind. He created humanity in his very image. We were supposed to be the bearers of his image, and we were supposed to reflect his character out into the world. So that goodness, that loving kindness, that that righteousness that we see God display, that's what we're supposed to be displaying in the world because we're made in his image. It's the way that he designed things to be. But humanity, in our selfishness, decided to rebel against God, a holy, righteous God. We decided to sin. We did what God commanded us not to do. Adam and Eve ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They were disobedient to God, and they were rebellious. He was the king, and they committed high treason against the king. They rebelled against him, and immediately sin entered into the world. And sin brought with it all kinds of brokenness that we experience now. Because of sin in our lives and sin in our world, now our relationship to the world around us is broken. Now our relationship to one another is broken. Even, some of you guys have definitely experienced this, our relationship with ourself is broken. We don't rightly understand ourselves the way that we're meant to. And then, ultimately, and most tragic of all, our relationship with God is broken. And if we have not trusted in Jesus, like left to our own devices, like we were talking about in verse 3, left to our own devices, we are stuck in our sin, we are disobedient, we are slaves to various passions and pleasures, we're passing our days in malice and envy, we are hated by others and we are hating one another, and ultimately what that leads to is eternal separation from God in a real place that we believe in called hell. This is heavy stuff. And God could have been totally righteous to just leave us there. We're the ones who messed it up. It was not his job to fix it, right? But man, God's character, as we've been talking about, God is good, God is loving, God is kind. And because of his goodness and loving kindness toward us, he sent his son into the world. Amen? He sent his son into the world who lived a perfectly righteous life and died a perfectly righteous death. He lived the life that we could not live. He died the death that we deserve to die, and he died in our place. I mean, what, what majesty, what, what wonder that, that the God who holds the heavens together descended, condescended, and became a baby in a manger. We just sang about this. And yet... He has loved us so much that he went to the cross for us. Scripture says it this way, that he who knew no sin, he who was perfectly righteous, became sin, became our sin, took on our sin upon himself so that we might become the righteousness of God. It was the worst trade in all of history. He traded our sin for his righteousness. And so now whenever God looks upon us, he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ for those of us who believe. And so now, now the ball is in your court. The ball, the ball is in my court. He has 
done this great work of salvation and he rose on the third day triumphing over death and the promise now to anyone who believes is that if you would put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you would submit to his lordship in your life, then you can have a restored relationship with God. You do not have to be stuck in your separation. You don't have to be stuck in your sin. That way will only lead you to destruction. But the way of Christ leads to life. And that is what we are thankful for this morning. That is what we celebrate whenever we celebrate Christmas, that Jesus was born to die. And that's also what we celebrate when we celebrate New Year. That it's more than just a year. It's an entire life that God has made new because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so if there is any kind of response that we need to have to this text this morning, if there's any kind of response that God saved us, we're marveling at the salvation that he has given us, if there is any kind of response that we need to have this morning, I think it's pretty clear from verse 8. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. So behold, behold the salvation of God and do good works. Man, that's the response we need to have, to behold the salvation of God, to worship him, to bow down to him for who he is and for what he has done for us. And then as a righteous response, as part of our worship, to do good works. What are these good works that I'm talking about? Well, the good works that I'm talking about is literally like loving the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, all of these things, and then also to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says on these two commandments hang all of the law and the prophets. So behold the salvation of God and do good works. Think of the beauty and the majesty of the gospel that he who created the entire universe descended and became a created one, that he who hung the stars in the sky came and walked among us, that the same God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who created all people, decided to walk among those same people, to enter into their mess, their messiness, and to walk among them, to teach them, and to heal, and to perform all kinds of miracles. And the same God who created the trees was hung on a tree that he created. This is the God that we worship. And he is the same God who is risen today, who is sitting at the right hand of the Father on high, and he is the one who we have been worshiping this morning. And so if you have never heard that or if you have never believed in that, then I encourage you, if you have not believed in Jesus this morning, then believe the gospel. Trust in Jesus. Behold the salvation of God, and as your first good work, <laughs> believe in him, submit to his lordship. And if you are a believer this morning, then here is your opportunity to be a witness. Remember what we were talking about, about the light bulb, right? The source of the light bulb, and then its purpose. The purpose of a light is to shine, right? And the purpose of your life is to shine in the midst of a dark world that is so desperately in need of the gospel. Without, I mean, Jesus is plan A and there is no plan B. There is no plan B. 
And so if we do not do our work of getting the gospel to people, then people will not believe. And so witness, and if we really believe that this is true, if we really believe that Jesus was sent to this earth to die, if we really believe in the gospel that we just sang about, that we say that we believe, then let's be people who testify to that truth. Let us be the kind of people who testify to that. One of my favorite series of all time, if you couldn't tell because I'm a big nerd, is uh, Lord of the Rings. Um, and because Lord of the Rings is one of my favorite series of all time, I'm going to quote it now. Um, toward the end of The Return of the King, the final book, this is after the climax. Okay, by the way, I'm just going to spoil the end of Lord of the Rings for you. If you haven't seen it, you've had like, well, you've had like 70 years to read it, so that's on you, I'm sorry. But at the very end, you know, you get Frodo and Sam, they're at the top of Mordor, and um, then they throw the ring in and all these other kind of things. Like, point is, during this whole entire process, during the climax of the biggest story, um, they get knocked out, right? And then it shows them a little bit later waking up. And one of the characters, Sam, wakes up, and he has this quote that's always stuck with me. He says, Gandalf, I thought you were dead, but then I thought I was dead myself. Is everything sad going to come untrue? What's happened to the world? A great shadow has departed, said Gandalf. And then he laughed, and the sound was like music or like water in a parched land. Man, the sound of his laugh was like music or it was like water in a parched land. What does that sound like? That's what we want whenever we think of New Year, right? It is a renewal. It's a refreshing thing, right? That, that what we long for whenever we're doing our New Year's resolutions and we're looking forward to the New Year, we've got our own personal goals, really what we want is we want restoration. That's what we want. That's our longing whenever we think about the New Year, right? And we might think to ourselves at this point, I don't know where you guys are at this Sunday morning, but maybe the Christmas presents, the newness of the Christmas presents have faded a little bit. Maybe the newness of the season has worn off a little bit. Maybe you are a little bit tired of spending time with your extended family. <laughs> you know, whatever it is, wherever it is you find yourself this morning, man, the Lord knows. The Lord is right here with us. There is a very popular saying that's been, um, that I've been hearing a lot over the past couple of years, and that is, new year, new me. Why does that not sound very true to our own human experience? Because I don't know about you guys, but I've felt it. <laughs> I've felt the idea of like, okay, I'm going to get all of my stuff together, and I'm going to get so organized, and I'm going to be so productive for this new year, and I've got all of these resolutions, all these things that I want to accomplish, and then I get a weekend, maybe, <laughs> you know, and then it's like, okay, well, new year, but same old me. Why is that? What is it that we are longing for? What we are longing for is newness. We're longing for renewal. We're longing for restoration, the kind of restoration that only God himself can bring. A new year is not going to change us, but the Lord Jesus Christ will change us. God saves because he is good so that we could be in his family. I hope that that's been made clear this morning. And I just want you to know that you have been invited 
into his family. And he is extending that invitation to you right now. Will you receive that gift today? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your graciousness. We thank you for the fact that you love us. Lord, your character, there's nothing like it. Because you are good, because you are loving kind, because you are merciful, you have saved us. And now you invite us in to be members of your family. Help us today as we reflect upon these words. Help us to, if we do believe, that we would testify, that we would be witnesses to that truth in the new year. That we would be the kind of people who are a beacon of light shining in the darkness. And more than that, help us to love you more. And I ask this in Jesus' name.